Hello, I'm Taj, digitally known as Tropic Vibes, the host of Nifty Business, where we highlight NFTs and explore Web 3.0 as we move from pure speculation to creating real-world value. Have you ever tried to explain NFTs to your friends or family? You were probably bombarded with questions about the media headlines, scams, skepticisms, and all sorts of questions that you weren't prepared to answer. I've been working on a free audio course called NFTs Explained. And with NFT NYC and everything going on this week, once again, I've had some interviews, cancellations, and there's just a lot of craziness going on in this space right now. So today's interview is moved till tomorrow, so it will be coming out on next Sunday. And we have some great things lined up in the coming weeks. So today I'm going to give a preview of NFTs Explained. This will be a great resource for you to share with your friends and family, anyone that's generally interested in the NFT space, and they just don't know where to start. Hopefully after they understand the lingo, catch up to speed, then they'll appreciate the space and come into the nifty business family. So let's get started. After listening to me speak for hundreds of hours about NFTs, my wife started to ask some beginner's questions that I thought she should definitely know by now. I've explained the benefits and everything to her, so I was shocked. And it was at this point I realized we that are enthusiasts about all of this technology are doing a terrible job of explaining it to everyone else. In the life cycle of NFTs, this would be like 1995 in the world of the internet. At this time, not everyone even had email addresses or had any idea of how to sign on. And that is where we're with NFTs. So after doing some brainstorming, I realized the best way for her to truly see the value of everything was to give her a real world benefit that she can relate to. And I wanted to do this without using any of the technical words, especially NFT. And the best example that I could possibly think of was using her salon. As a salon owner, not only does she do hair, but she has lots of clients and there are other services that are offered within the salon. And I thought, wouldn't it be very cool if she could offer a lifetime pass to a limited number of customers so that they could get a free basic service once a month for as long as the salon was open. And as a hairdresser, I realized the most basic and simple service that she offers is hair washing. And although we're located in Jamaica for simplicity, I'm going to use US dollars to demonstrate the power of this lifetime pass. Let's say it costs $20 to wash your hair. So washing your hair once a month for the next year should cost $240. So if my wife wanted to make this at a very attractive price, she might price it at $240 for this lifetime pass of getting free hair washing. Now, with the price of inflation and everything going up, this might seem like an absolutely ridiculous deal. It is clear to see that the benefit for the customer is that they're going to be locked in at this ridiculously low price that will pay for itself after one year, and thereon they'll get free hair washing once a month for as long as the salon stays open. Also, my wife is a salon owner, also receives a benefit. Seeing that this is the most basic introductory service, most likely once a month when this customer comes in to get their hair washed, they're then going to upgrade to get a styling, possibly visit the other stations, maybe get a nails done, pedicure, her eyebrows done, and other things within that salon. And seeing that this person has this lifetime once a month membership, they're continually going to come back over time. They're not going to stray and go to any other salon. They will stay loyal to my wife's salon. Now, what if the client decides to move and go to a different town? The benefit of having a lifetime pass to a salon in this town is not going to do any benefit for this person. Let's say they move to another country. So what are they going to do? 
while there are countless other clients that my wife has that would absolutely love to have this lifetime pass. But because it was a limited quantity, let's say there were only 10 of these passes. However, she might have hundreds of clients and each of them want this lifetime pass. Well, that client that initially bought one of the 10, now that they're moving away, can turn around and sell it for whatever the going rate is. And since it was a ridiculous deal to begin with, let's say five years from now, the price of hair washing has gone through the roof and someone is willing to buy it from that person for $2,400, 10X what they initially paid for it because they see the lifetime value of having a free hair washing every single month. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Under normal circumstances, when someone resells something, the initial creator or the initial business would not get any kind of additional revenue. But with this lifetime pass, it could actually be built in to also incorporate a 10% royalty. So when this pass resells for $2,400, my wife can get an additional $240. So not only did she get $240 with the initial sale, she also got $240 with the future sale and any other sale there forward. And if the idea of this lifetime pass excites you and you truly see the benefit of something like this, I want to truly officially welcome you to Web3. That is the power of an NFT. Those of us on the inside of Web3 that are gung-ho and enthusiastic about this often speak about the tech and all the amazing things in ways that are 5, 10, 15 years in the future. And then the media likes to talk about all the hype, the celebrities, and the prices. And all that noise and chaos tends to create a lot of confusion for someone that is a newbie trying to understand exactly what is going on here. This life-changing and world-changing technology is not only in its early days, but we have not even imagined its potential. Think of where the internet was in 1995 compared to where it is now. So in order to truly appreciate all this technology, where we are and where we're going, I think it's important to get a history of the internet and explain why Web3 is a big deal. And it's not a matter of if the general public gets there, it's a matter of when the general public accepts it and it becomes a part of everyday life and we won't have to worry about all these technical terms and funny words. It will be as common as asking someone to send you a video or a picture or anything that might have required a ridiculous amount of technical knowledge and explanations 15 years ago. So let's dive into the history. In order to truly understand NFTs, we must understand the history of the web. The internet or the World Wide Web as we know it officially came online in 1989, but it was open to the public in 1991. That was what we called Web 1, and that was a read-only environment. And things that we might know from Web 1 would be websites that resembled encyclopedias. If you remember those editions of books that covered everything from history, World War II, the Roman Empire, all of those things, static information from the past that was easily able to be put up on a web page, well, that was in Web 1. A lot of that information became these static websites that students would use for research, and they weren't really updated because that was historical information. Also, during this time, that's when the yellow pages started to digitize, and that was when business were putting up their information, their phone numbers, their address, and again, information that was very static. People would go to them, they would read the information, and it wasn't really dynamic as far as interacting with it or changing or anything of that nature. Then also, we had different iterations of businesses finding ways to put their services online, such as the movie theater. We would just go check to see what time the movie was playing, what the price was. 
and that was it. Then later in the 90s, we started to hear a term called Web 2 or Web 2.0. And it was not just the read-only environment that we're used to from when the internet started. It started to be read and write. And this is when blogs became prominent. People were starting to write their articles and journals and putting up information that was accessible to everyone. You no longer needed to be this massive company with your own servers. That's when Blogger and WordPress and all these different sites that offer these services started to come out. And then there was social media with sites such as Friendster, MySpace, High Five, Facebook, Vine, Twitter, and all of these that are still around till these days. It was dynamic, a constant flow of information. Basically, everybody could be a creator overnight. Then we started to get things such as YouTube, where people were able to put up videos. Anyone could be a videographer. They could create their own movies, their own shows. It started off as dancing cat videos and singing, but then people really got created. It became full production companies that were on platforms such as Vimeo and YouTube and countless others. And even before that, there was audio platforms such as podcasting. Then there was SoundCloud and multiple ways for people to put out their own audio content, whether it is music with singing or performing or content such as this was all a part of Web2. So it is not just simply looking for information and reading it, but it was also creating it. It gave regular people the ability to put their content online for other people to consume. Now we're at the beginning of an era we're calling Web3 or Web3.0. And the main focus of this is not just reading and not just writing, but also the ownership of the content that is being created. Because in Web2, although we had the ability to create content, you technically did not own it. It was owned by the platforms in which it was hosted. For example, if you were posting videos, essentially it was YouTube that was controlling that video. Or if you're building a large audience on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you didn't really own that audience. It was locked into that platform. And even if you're someone who had your own blog or your own website that was fully hosted, it was at the mercy of that particular hosting company. So you could be censored or you could be banned. Your content could be taken offline. And although, yes, you own as far as the content that was being written or created, what was actually online generating your funds for your business and getting all that traffic, you did not really own that. Not to mention, in this environment, it is very easy to copy and steal information. Nothing is really stopping someone from right-clicking and saving an article, downloading an image, a movie, or a song, and then uploading it on their own website, driving traffic to it, and generating income. And the creator never saw those royalties, never knew that even existed. And to that audience coming on and watching all of that and consuming that content, they had no idea that it was not created by the person that stole it from the original creator. And that's really no different than, let's say, an offline songwriter creates a song, someone steals that song and becomes famous. This is something that has been happening since the beginning of time. However, with the internet, it is easier to track down different things, but still, it was happening a lot in Web 2. But in Web 3, there is a verifiable chain of authenticity and ownership. Within a few clicks, anyone can see if this is the original creation and verify its legitimacy. That is public knowledge available to anyone with an internet connection and it does not take any sort of secret clearance or high levels of authority or connections to be able to see this and prove this. And I opened up by speaking about a lifetime pass for my wife's salon. The beauty of this is even when it is sold five, 10 years from now, it can always be tracked and see that it was a legitimate one of the original 10. No one can just copy this and try to submit a fake one to be used at the salon. Or if a dishonest person tries to create a fake one to sell to an unsuspecting client, that client can easily see that this is a fake, a fraudulent copy and not the original. And on the flip side, the salon can quickly see if this is one of the original 10 
and if it was legitimately transferred to a new owner. So what is an NFT? Simply put, it is something that is digital that cannot be copied or counterfeited. It is unique like a set of fingerprints, no two are exactly alike. And as I said, the chain of ownership and authenticity can be verified. So what's up with the funny word NFT? It's an acronym which stands for non-fungible token, which is, in my opinion, a terrible name. However, what it simply means is a not replaceable thing or not interchangeable thing. And that is why I use my definition. It is a digital unique thing that cannot be copied or counterfeited. In my opinion, it is a lot simpler than defining what fungible and token means. A token is essentially just a thing. And these things can come in many forms. It could be displayed as pictures, audio, video, or documents. The types of documents could be anything from such as a ticket to an event, the deed or title to something like a vehicle or a property, or a certificate, whether it be a license or diploma from a school. And unlike the traditional versions of these items, they're easily verified as authentic, they cannot be copied or faked. So let's clear up some misconceptions. I'm pretty sure that you've heard a lot about NFTs if you're listening to this and trying to understand what's all the hype, what's all the hoopla. Well, originally, it was novel technology. Tech enthusiasts were playing around with data and information and trying to figure out ways of transacting in a way that would prevent fraud and reduce the need for a middleman. Because before this technology was available, there was always need for an intermediary or a middleman, a trusted third party, to verify that the transaction was legitimate. So just using a simple example, if you were supposed to purchase tickets to a sporting event, most likely you'd get it from a middleman such as Ticketmaster or StubHub or someone that can verify that this is a legitimate ticket and not just some random copy. Now, there are countless other applications for that, but this is the most basic and probably most commonly used way of understanding the need for a trusted third party to verify that something is authentic. Or in the case of real estate transactions, there are multiple steps needed to take to verify that the title or the deed is legitimate and the rightful owner is transferring the property through a sale to a new owner. Well, these tech enthusiasts were building the solution and as a way to forego the need for that trusted third party, a way that someone could instantly know if something was legitimate or not. So how did all this boring technology become so hyped and the news started to speak about millions of dollars being made with digital images on the internet? Well, in the spring of 2021, a lot of record-breaking sales started to take place. And of course, as the media picked this up, NFTs just began to gain in momentum. More people wanted to buy in, really saw the value and the novelty of this tech. People got excited and then the money and the crowd started to pour in. And it was like a snowball effect. The more the media reported about it, the more people came in. And the more people came in, a bidding war started and the value of things started to go up. Again, causing the media to report it more. And the cycle continued. In case you're wondering, what is the connection with this fairly basic and seemingly boring technology with cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin? Well, the same technology that makes Bitcoin possible is also the same technology that makes NFTs possible. It is just a network of computers scattered around the world that independently verify that these things are real, legitimate, and these transactions involve no fraud. And this network of computers is called a blockchain. And because this technology is what's powering all of this stuff, the communities tend to overlap. People that are building out blockchain technology to be used in real estate, medical records, voting records, you name it, are also happen to be interested in cryptocurrencies that are using that same technology to reduce financial fraud and NFT enthusiasts that are excited about digital ownership. And together, these three groups of communities in values 
is what makes up Web3. And not because these are three groups, but because this is like the third iteration of the internet. As I explained earlier, Web1 was read-only, Web2 was read and write, and Web3 is digital ownership. And you might have heard that this whole space is just filled with scams and it should not be trusted. I'll simply say anything with value has a potential for scams. And if you look at the research from the FBI and multiple governments, the biggest area of scam is actually in cash. Unlike everything that we just discussed, cash transactions are untrackable. There is no way to know exactly when cash changes hands, what the cash was exchanged for, and what took place. And probably the safe, most secure area to store value since the beginning of time has been in land and gold. And since the beginning of time, there have been fraud and scams involving real estate and gold. However, the general public would not say cash, real estate, and gold is all one big fraud. Another thing that you might hear is that NFTs and everything that's going on in Web3 is bad for the environment. Essentially, that comes from the idea that it burns a lot of electricity to run these networks. And carbon dioxide emissions and things like that are on people's minds right now with discussions about the environment, global warming. And that is why a lot of attention has been put on Web3. But as with anything, whether a source of electricity is clean or it's dirty, bad for the environment, it all depends on how it is being produced. Of course, there is lightning, which is a part of nature. There is static. But generally speaking, human electricity, we're speaking about power plants such as coal, nuclear, solar, wind, water, and so forth. And the amount of carbon dioxide generated, it all depends on how that electricity is being generated in that particular area. But by comparison... All of Web3 transactions do not equate the amount of CO2 produced by airplanes, automobiles, multiple forms of transportation, or even cattle by themselves. And in fact, it is also underreported that there are carbon neutral and carbon negative NFT transactions, meaning that the carbon dioxide produced during that transaction is offset to an equal or greater amount than it requires to put through that transaction. And lastly, you might hear that millennials are just trying to get rich by buying monkey pictures on the internet. As I explained earlier, there are multiple types of NFTs. However, the actual image that is associated with the NFT is much like the image that's on the face of a movie ticket or a Super Bowl ticket or a concert ticket. When purchasing those things, someone is not just buying the image or the piece of paper. They're buying the experience that is associated with it. So people like to joke that an NFT can simply be right-clicked and saved, but As I've already discussed, that is exactly what this thing solves. It cannot just be copied and saved. Sure, the image can be copied and saved, but the NFT cannot. And the illustration that I'll give for this is like someone going to a museum and looking at a Picasso painting and taking a photo of it with their cell phone and then trying to sell that for millions of dollars. Sure, it looks like the same thing. It is an image that was captured, but no one's going to pay millions of dollars for that. When someone goes to an auction and buys an actual Picasso painting, they're buying much more than just the image. They're buying everything that is associated with that painting, the history, the story, the hours of labor that went into it, the historical relevance, and so much more. And that is no different than purchasing an NFT. In many cases, there's an image associated with it. However, thinking that you could just right-click, save it, and sell it for the same value would be just as silly as trying to sell that photo of the Picasso painting. People would not travel from all over the world just to see your cell phone picture of that painting. However, they will go to see that painting itself in the museum. 
So hopefully this was very helpful in clarifying what an NFT is. So many times that we'll hear all of these technical terms and the way the news hypes it up and brushes over it. A lot of this information is just lost in translation. However, through NFTs Explained, I hope that your questions are answered, misconceptions are clarified, and you're able to see the value of Web3 and the future that is being built. So hopefully you enjoyed the preview of this episode of NFTs Explained. It's going to be an introduction to people to Web3 and all of this stuff, because a lot of the times if someone's coming in, they start to listen to episode number 225 or 226, whatever I'm up to now of Nifty Business. If that's their first experience with NFTs, they might be just blown away and lost. And it is so hard to go through looking for information on YouTube and Twitter and anywhere else. And a lot of the times people that are trying to explain this stuff just, just does not really do a good job of it. They focus too much on the tech and they use all sorts of foreign words that we are used to and familiar with within the community. However, someone that's coming in from the outside has no idea what's going on. It might as well be a foreign language. So please feel free to share this episode with anyone. This audio course and everything will be on a completely different feed. It's going to be called NFTs Explained. I'm going to have weekly educational material for newbies. Just cut through all the technical talk and the jargon with the goal of having more people excited about Web3 as we're learning and building this thing together. So I'd greatly appreciate any information that you can give, any kind of feedback, questions that you'd like me to add into the show, anything to help your friends, family, and loved ones understand all this Web3 stuff. This is what's going to go into that show. And as usual, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this. Until next time, later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice. It provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.